today we're continuing in the, the book of Hebrews, uh, the Hebrews 8. And uh, the author of Hebrews has been um, like a bus driver going through uh, the letter of Hebrews and picking up more and more reasons why Jesus is greater in our lives than anything else. And as he goes on, he picks up more and more reasons why Jesus is greater. But if you don't read carefully, you could miss the slight variance in our passage today compared to uh, the previous passages. And that before he was saying that Jesus is greater, Jesus is greater. But actually, you'll see a slight variance in, in what he says in our passage. So if you start at verse 6, let's just read verse 6 and let me show you what that is. As he continues, he says this. <clears throat> but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. And the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The difference here, uh, in comparison to what we've been looking at, he says that not only is Jesus better, but the actual ministry that he has, the covenant that he has, is better. That the covenant that Jesus brings to us is better. The ministry that he administrates to us is better. And today, we're going to look at this ministry, this covenant. This is the new covenant. The new covenant promised in Jeremiah, quoted here in Hebrews 8, and told to us um, for our faith. Now, I want to give you a disclaimer that, um, you know, I, I wish I had time to go through the entirety of the new covenant and explain everything to you. I just don't. But five months ago, I gave a sermon on the new covenant from Jeremiah 31. So if you go to May 22nd on our podcast or our videos, you'll be able to get a little bit more background on the new covenant. But today, I kind of want to focus since five months ago, and you guys all remember everything about that sermon, right? So... <laughs> Nervous laughter. Um, so today, I want to focus on how do we keep the covenant? How do we keep the new covenant? Because if you remember, the author of Hebrews is focusing his burden uh, in the letter is to help these Hebrew Christians who are tempted to go back to Judaism. Uh, they're tempted to go back to the old covenant. And he's trying to help them to understand why they should not do that. And in today's passage, he, he tells them that the old covenant is destined for failure. The old covenant is destined for failure. There's no hope. There's no moving forward in the old covenant. He says in here, if, it, if there was a hope in the old covenant, then why would he give us a new one? By giving us a new one, he makes the old one obsolete. And he tells us that there is power and hope in the new covenant because there is an innovation in the new covenant. Today's sermon is called the innovation of the new covenant. And that innovation is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The burden in my heart as I prepare today's sermon are for those of you who are stuck in your faith. Those of you who know the gospel can explain to me what the gospel is and still feel stuck in your faith. I believe that the Lord has a word for you today. We're going to look at the innovation of the new covenant, and then we're going to look at how to keep the new covenant. And by looking at this, those of you who feel stuck in your faith, I think that you'll find that this innovation of the Holy Spirit, you've been looking for this. Okay, let's read the passage in our entirety. Hebrews 8, 6 to 13. <clears throat> but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them. When he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, <clears throat> not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, 
And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we have things in us that are ready to vanish away. Uh, we need things that, we have things that really need renewal. And I really pray for the brothers and sisters in this room who feel stuck in their faith, have not seen progress and growth in their relationship with the Lord for a long time. I pray that today would be a new day, day of the new covenant. May your spirit rest upon us. May your spirit rest upon us now as we look into your word. Help us, help us, show us who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The innovation of the new covenant. Um, as we get into this, uh, let me explain to you what a covenant is. First of all, a covenant is essentially a promise that two parties make to one another. Promise that two parties make to one another, and that promise is going to define how their relationship will go. And the old covenant is this, that God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And here are our commitments to one another. I will provide for you and bless you. And you will obey me and love me. I will provide for you and bless you. And you will obey me and love me. That's a beautiful covenant, isn't it? Right? If you think about it, that's a beautiful covenant. If there was no such thing as sin in the hearts of the people, that would be really, really beautiful. And if you think about that, think about if that actually worked out. I will provide for you and bless you. You will obey me and love me. That was the old covenant. But as we know, the relationship was broken. The covenant was broken by one of the parties, sinners. So when you look at verse 7 to 8 again, this is what the Lord says. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, when it says, if it, has been, if it were faultless, it does not mean that the covenant itself was broken and messed up. Um, the covenant itself was beautiful, right? And sometimes even, I, I think that uh, we mischaracterize the old covenant and the Old Testament saying that God was not gracious. It's not true. There was tremendous grace in the Old Testament. Did you hear what he said in Jeremiah 31? When I took them out of Egypt and I took them by the hand and I brought them into salvation. They had a beautiful salvation story of grace. Out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the Promised Land. They had that beautiful story of God extending grace to them with, with an outstretched and mighty hand, brought them out with no effort on their own, but he brought them out with grace and mercy. But you know, even that story of grace for them, that story of mercy, it did not change their hearts. Does that sound familiar? Does that feel familiar? having a story of grace that does not change your heart. That was their issue. God brought them out of Egypt with grace and mercy, and yet their hearts were still sinful. That's why in verse 8 he says, for he finds fault with them. He finds fault with them. And that's why the old covenant ended up being so fragile and often broken, because in our sin, God said to us, I will provide for you and bless you, and you will obey me and love me. And the old covenant people said, 
we don't really want to. It's a beautiful covenant, but they, they responded with, we don't really want to. Every once in a while, they said, yes, we want to, but then in the end, it showed that them, they really didn't want to at the end of the day. And that's why they spent most of their time mending their relationship with sacrifices, because at the heart of everything, they didn't really want to do it. They didn't really want to do it. They chose sin over God. And don't you see how in this passage that the author of Hebrews is trying to show the Hebrew Christians the weakness of Judaism, right? He's saying, you guys want to go back to Judaism because it's comfortable. But if you go back, is that going to really fix anything? Is that really going to change your heart in any way? I mean, face the facts. Your heart is not changed. That's why in the old covenant, as beautiful as it was, there's no future with the old covenant because your heart doesn't want it and you can't suppress your desires forever. I'm really careful about not making never in any statements, but I want to make this statement for all of us today. My brother and sister, you'll never make any progress in your faith without the innovation of the new covenant. You'll never make any progress in your faith without this innovation of the new covenant. See, Jesus is trying to convey this to um, someone who knows the old covenant, covenant very well. A learned man, an aged man, an experienced man. His name is Nicodemus. And he knows the old covenant. In fact, he's a teacher of the law and he's taken the old covenant and he's maxed it out. He's basically learned everything. There's no one around him who knows more about the law than he does. And yet when he hears Jesus speak, there's something about Jesus that feels like there's more than what he knows. It feels like there's something more than he knows. And how could that be? Because nobody knows more than Nicodemus. Nobody knows the Old Testament, the corners and the edges of it more than he does. And yet when Jesus speaks, it seems like there's something more. And when Jesus meets with him, he tells him, Nicodemus, it's not so much that there's more. It's that there's something new. Not so much that there's something more, but there's something brand new. As Nicodemus speaks to him, Jesus says, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You have to be born again. And Nicodemus' response is interesting. He says, how? How can I be born again when I'm old? And he's not, you know, he, he's not misunderstanding Jesus, and he doesn't actually think that Jesus is telling him you have to be physically born again. Teacher of the law, theologian, he understands illusion and illustration. And I think that underneath the first layer of what Nicodemus is saying, he's really saying this, how can I start over? I've been me for so long. I don't know if you guys can relate to that. How can I really start over? I've been me for so long. How can I start over when I'm old? You see, there's a defeatedness to that, right? Don't you hear a defeatedness to what he's saying? What else can I learn? What else can I do? How can I start over when I'm old? You know, I would guess to say that some of you feel that way about your faith. That you come to church, but there's this nagging voice at the back of your head. I'm going to go and I'm going to open my heart to listen to the word of God. But can anything really happen? How can I start over when I'm old? How can I start over when I've been living this way for so long? Can God really do anything? Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? When I'm old, Jesus says to him, ah, Nicodemus, you are old, but you are only old in the flesh. You see, 
see, you are only old in the flesh. You're only experienced in the flesh. You only have your teaching and experience in the flesh. You weren't born again with a new innovation that will change you into a new thing. Read verse, uh, this is John 3, 5 to 7. Read this with me. It says this. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless, it's born, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And now listen to this part. He says, that which is born in the flesh is flesh. Nicodemus, you are old, but the entirety of the time that you have been uh, racking up these experiences and learning these things, it's been in the flesh. So I know it feels like you've been doing this a long time, but I'm telling you, you haven't. You haven't even started. That which is born of flesh remains flesh or is flesh. But then he says this, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. To a Nicodemus who feels defeated, that there could be any hope of something new, he says, do not fear, do not be anxious. You can start over. But the thing is, you've been missing the key to everything, the spirit, which is the innovation of the new covenant. And that's what the new covenant is about. The new covenant brings an innovation that brings renovation to your hearts. An innovation that brings renovation to your hearts. And that actually, and here's the, this is why it's an innovation. It changes what you want in life. The innovation of renovation, which means it renovates what you actually want in your life. And that is the big change that the Holy Spirit brings to your life. You know, sometimes when I talk to non-Christians <clears throat> about Christianity, I find that this is missing in their perception of what faith is. Um, oftentimes, people think that Christians are engaged in a religion where God makes all these demands of us. We don't really want to do any of that. But God makes the demands of us, and we have to do it, right? And over time, we suppress our desires, and we reject ourselves, and we say, okay, fine, God, we will do it, right? And that's what I find oftentimes is a misunderstanding of what Christianity is, because it's a Christianity defined by the old covenant. But here's the difference of the new covenant. Um, if you think about that kind of understanding of what Christianity is for non-Christians, you know, that's uh, very difficult if you think about that. If you think that's what faith is, it's really hard, even worse, it could be repressive, where you're actually repressing who you are and taken to the furthest parts, it, it could be even oppressive to someone. But I think that the, what's missing is this understanding of the new covenant. G.K. Chesterton, he once said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Think about what that says. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting but it has been found difficult and left untried. If that is the true vision of what Christianity is, that God makes demands and we don't really want to do it, but we do it anyway, that is really difficult. How long can you keep that up? How long have you been living in that kind of faith? How long can you keep that up? The author of Hebrews says, you guys want to go back to Judaism, but is there really any future in that? When you don't really want to obey God, but you feel the pressure to obey God. Isn't that repressive? And yes, if you look at it that way, it is truly repressive and even can be oppressive at times. 
And some of you have given up on Christianity in a lot of ways because of that. I mean, you still come to church. You still do this stuff. But in terms of a hope for real change, you've kind of given up on that. See, brothers and sisters, the innovation of the new covenant is this, that God says, I see that you don't want to do what I'm calling you to do, so this is what I'll do. I'll actually download my spirit into your heart. I will write my law into your heart. And so you're not just hearing what I want you to do, I'm gonna transform what you want to do. That's the innovation of the new spirit, of the new covenant. Read verse 10 to 13 of our passage. This is what it says. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds so that his law is your mind. I will write them on their hearts so that your desire is his desire. And it's God entering man, speaking to us, guiding us, compelling us, directing us so that real change of the heart happens. That's what the new covenant is. And I think that that's what's missing sometimes, that uh, when non-Christians or people who, even Christians, uh, when we think about our faith, that we forget that the new covenant promise of the gospel is God actually coming and changing what we want so that what ends up happening is we end up doing what we want and it ends up being the exact thing that God wants. That's what the Holy Spirit does in you. That's the Holy Spirit's role, is to change your heart so that the things that you want is what God wants. Now, as we move to the next point, I want to ask the question that some of you are thinking. If that's the new covenant, then why don't I feel it? Why don't I feel changed? I became a Christian 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 10 years ago. I don't feel anything. I still want to do the things I want to do. I still want to do the old things that I want to do. Nothing is happening in me. What's the deal? Right? And that's why I want to focus today on how do we keep the new covenant. Because often what I hear when the new covenant is explained is very one-sided. That the new covenant is God being faithful, offering final forgiveness. Those are my words from my last sermon. Offering final forgiveness for us in the new covenant. But not talking about what our role in the covenant is. Isn't that weird? Because a covenant is an agreement between two parties that both uphold their end. But very little is said about our end of the new covenant. But there is an end for us to uphold. And yes, absolutely, I celebrate along with everybody the beauty of the one-sided salvation and justification that comes from the gospel. Jesus picked up the cup at the Last Supper and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Not in your blood, not in anything that you do, no, no effort from you. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. I will save you with an outstretched and mighty hand all by myself. Right? Hallelujah. I believe that. But at the same time, that means that we are now in the covenant. That we now have to uphold our end of the covenant. And we need to talk about that or we don't really understand it. And my brothers and sisters, this is where a lot of you are stuck. Only saying hallelujah to the grace of the gospel and now moving forward past that. Do you know how at Christmas when you buy somebody a sweater, do you know how you know if they really like it? How do you know? They wear it. They take it out of the box and they'll look at it and they'll actually try it on. 
That's how you know. Remember this Christmas. When you buy somebody clothes, that's how you know they really like it, is if they actually put it on, they look in the mirror. Now, if they don't really like it, this is what they'll do. They'll raise their pitch in their voice and go, thank you. And they'll smile with their mouth, but not with their eyes. And then they'll set it aside, right? And uh, they don't really like it, but they're, you know, appreciative. I think it's weird that God brings us this beautiful gift of the new covenant. And he says, I will bring you this new capacity to love me. I will bring you this new ability to thrive in the spirit, this new power to obey. And we say, wow, God, thank you. And that's it. This is where a lot of Christians get stuck. We don't put it on. We don't put on the power of what he just gave us in the spirit. And unless we do that, brothers and sisters, I I dare to say that we pay lip service to the new covenant if we don't put on the new, new covenant Holy Spirit. I don't care how reformed you are. I don't care how much of the gospel you can explain to me. If you don't walk in the Holy Spirit, then it's dead orthodoxy. It's stuck in the head. You see, the new covenant has to be about more than forgiveness. Let me say that again so you know that I'm not being heretical. The new covenant gospel has to be about more than forgiveness. It's not less than forgiveness because that forgiveness saves us, but it's got to be about more than forgiveness. It's about the new possibility of transformation and heart change. I will write my law in their hearts. I thought you erased the law. No, no, no. I will write it on your heart. I will make it even more real. So that before, when I said the law, you would say, oh God, but what happens if we don't do it? Will you punish us? Before you said that, now when I say the law, now when you read your Bibles, you will say, oh God, that's good. I will write it on your heart. You're not going to just think about the requirements and consequences of the law. You will know the heartbeat of the law. It will come out as your voice. It will come out as who you are. In John 15, 9 to 11, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my law. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. This is the new innovation of the Spirit. Now, how do we engage it? How do we do it? How do we actually get into it? How do we uphold our end of the new covenant? If this is the gift of the Spirit that transforms hearts, why don't I feel anything? And how do I start to experience it? I want to take you to Galatians 5. And Galatians 5 is going to tell you how you can start to uphold your end of the covenant, to put on the sweater of the new covenant, and to start this. Galatians 5, it says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. How do I put on the sweater? Galatians says that there are two sides of this. One, you need to actually kill the flesh, your old self, and start walking by the Spirit in the new self. 
And this is sometimes why we get stuck, because we don't take seriously the call to kill the flesh. But my brothers and sisters, if you're going to put on the sweater of the new covenant, if you're going to actually live in the grace and power of the gospel, we need to have a purposeful vigilance against the flesh. A non-legalistic and spirit-fueled war against the flesh. You see, the promise of the new covenant is this new power given to you that you can actually kill the flesh now and put away your old self and put on the new self. And I want to tell you that if you want to put on the sweater of the new covenant, it's not going to be immediately comfortable. Because listen to what he said in Galatians 5. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other. There's a war going on. And if you want to actually live in the power of the spirit, you're going to have that war going on inside you. That does not sound comfortable to me. But that is how we put on the new covenant to start to kill the flesh. And I'm telling you that at the beginning, it's not going to feel very natural. When you start to war against your flesh, the things of the flesh, when you start to kill it, there's going to be opposition. And, you know, sometimes I hear from the world that if something is natural or of nature, then it should be good. You know, now that marijuana is legal in the state of New Jersey, uh, my friends who are engaging are going to tell me the same thing. It grows in the ground. It's natural. Now it's legal. So how can it be a bad thing? It's of nature. And so it's a good thing. You know, I hear the same thing about certain sexual behaviors, that you know, it's natural comes out of our hearts, so it should be good. How can something natural be bad? Well, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of things in nature that are bad. Lots of th- poison ivy is, nature, is of nature, right? I mean, there's a lot in nature that's not great. But as Christians, we have to see, wow, that's really reductive, reductionistic. Because the Bible tells us that we have two natures, Which nature are you talking about? The Bible says that we have the nature of the flesh, which is inside of us, and the nature of the spirit, which we're trying to feed. The flesh we're trying to starve. The flesh, uh, the spirit, which we're trying to feed. What nature are you talking about? As Christians, we need to come and, and, and approach these issues through this filter. Which nature is it feeding? Right? And all the decisions that you make, if you want to put on the new covenant, you have to think about which nature is it feeding, the spirit, which is the power of the new covenant, or the flesh, which is the thing that's supposed to be wasting away. But you're denying yourself. That's not natural. I'm trying to kill the flesh. I'm aiming for the supernatural. I'm engaging in the spirit, not the flesh. I'm learning to walk in the Spirit. My brothers and sisters, if you want to experience the power of the new covenant, then you can't get scared of a little bit of battle inside of you. You have to have the vigilance not to be too feeling-based in your faith. Because the fleshly part of you is going to war against you. I promise you that. But the innovation of the Spirit is that He gives us the power to deny ourselves in the flesh and to live into who we are in the spirit. And you have to do both at the same time. You have to do both at the same time. If you don't, it will be really, really difficult. But when you do, your desires actually begin to change. When you begin to not only deny the flesh, but fill yourself with the things of the spirit, 
And that is the new innovation, is that before in the old covenant, people used to just deny themselves, deny themselves, deny themselves. God requires these things of me. I don't really want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's all they had. But now, don't you see what he's saying? But you are not like that. You have the spirit inside of you. You have the new covenant spirit. I will write my law into your heart. The spirit will go into all flesh. And now you not only deny yourself, but you fill yourself with the things of God. And that's how you uphold the new covenant. And I think that that's the coolest part of being a new covenant Christian because I start to see that in my own heart. The coolest part about being a new covenant Christian is that you get to see your desires actually change. I saw things that years ago I would never have thought that I would really enjoy. Now I really love. And God has changed things in my heart, but you need to do both, reject the flesh deny the spirit. One of the best ways that I help myself to think about this, I'm a little bit simple-minded, is the idea of eating Big Macs versus running on a treadmill, right? Um, We all love to eat Big Macs, right? No? I love to eat Big Macs. But your desire to eat Big Macs is opposed to your desire to exercise, And so when you're running on a treadmill and you're getting into exercise and working out, your desire to eat Big Macs diminishes. Maybe afterwards you want to eat a ton of Big Macs, but later on, as you increase your desire and love for exercise, what happens? When you work out, your desire for Big Macs diminish. Now, if you're in a season where you're eating Big Macs all the time, maybe in the midst of COVID, you know, in COVID you were just eating terribly the whole time, how great is your desire to work out? Your desire to work out diminishes, right? When I think about flesh and spirit, that is kind of... um, for me, helpful to think about it in that way. There are some people in our congregation who run marathons and do a lot of running, and you know who you are. And I talk to them, and they say that if they are not able to run for a few days at a time, then they start to itch because they want to run. They want to work out. Now, a lot of these guys started out as not even being able to run a quarter mile. Where did that desire come from to run and that itch to run when you can't? It came from running. It came from running. How do I increase my desire for the spirit? You need to walk in the spirit to kill the flesh. And as you do that, those desires in the spirit will be increased. And your ability to uphold the new covenant actually comes into fruition. Let me give you an example of this from my own life. Um, I used to struggle with a very fleshly mouth. And what I mean by that is that I used to have this uncontrollable habit of tearing people down with my words, using barbiting sarcasm, crude joking, basically anything that would get the crowd going. And um, I would just, yeah, my, my tongue was not tamed and it was habitual. And some of you know what that is like. And when you have an untamed tongue, it, it's really hard to control. It's really hard to control because that's the only way your tongue knows how to function, right? But when I became a Christian, my friend said to me, Dave, you used to be really funny, and now you're kind of boring, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, they were, they were right, actually. They were really right uh, that I wasn't funny anymore um, because I was learning how to tame my tongue. And so it was like this uncontrollable animal that I didn't have under control, so I basically just tranquilized it for a season because I didn't know how to edify people with my tongue, I would just be really quiet. And they would say, man, you used to be funny, man. What happened? You're not funny anymore. 
That's because it was really awkward uh, for me to start walking in the spirit with my tongue. But over time, I learned how to encourage people with my tongue. And I gotta tell you, it was really awkward at the beginning. And some of you are in this transition phase where you're trying to tame your tongue from being like funny and biting to actually, and you can still be funny. I mean, I'm not, but you can still be funny. And you can encourage people at the same time. But when you make that transition, it's really awkward. Because one, you don't know what to say. But then two, even when you do know what to say, you don't wanna say it because you're nervous. I don't know why we're so nervous to encourage one another. And then if you actually do it, it comes out weird. And that was me for a really long time. But you know, I continued in that, tried to kill my flesh the way my tongue was sharp. And I tried to walk in the spirit. And over time, I did begin to change. And you know what's crazy is now when I'm in a situation when people are bad talking other people, when there's a lot of biting gossip and bad things, I get really uncomfortable. Isn't that crazy? Because back then, that was my natural habitat. But now I'm very uncomfortable in those situations. I have a new nature by the new covenant spirit. And I leaned into that. And I started to lean into using my tongue to encourage people. And I started to grow in that. And I started to realize, hey, I love encouraging people. When I now meet with people and I encourage them and I lift them up and I walk away, I feel good instead of feeling bad about the jokes I made. And now it's not just you know, these kind of vague or trite compliments that I give, but now I feel God actually speaking through me. And now when I encourage people, it's much deeper stuff than I, I said before. It's, very, it's not from me, it's from God, and I can feel that, and I can encourage people in a deeper and more powerful way. Now the Spirit of God is working in me, and now I can encourage people like crazy, I hope, you know? And I, it makes me feel really like God is pleased with me, and I love it too. That is the coolest part about the new covenant, is that it actually changes your desires over time. But my brothers and sisters, you have to lean into that. Read John 15, 9, 11 again and see what it means one more time. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that you, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I feel that. I feel his pleasure when I walk in the spirit, I encourage you to do the same. I encourage you to do the same. You know, one more example I'll give before I close. Um, Many of us are enslaved um, on a daily basis um, by sexual temptation. That's the one thing that makes you feel really defeated and hopeless. Jay Stringer in his book called Unwanted, um, I really recommend that to you, the book called Unwanted, and he talks about unwanted sexual behavior that we don't want to engage in these sexual practices, but we always end up doing it, and we can't stop ourselves, and it makes us so defeated. And he says that we have been enslaved by these sexual habits, and we can't find our way out. But he's a psychologist, a counselor, and a pastor who's been practicing a long time, and he said that actually what he's found that a lot of our sexual aberrations, it comes from a past of deprivation that we have deprivation in our past, deprived of things emotionally, deprived of things, and those, when we grow up, we act out in trying to find sexual fulfillment. That deprivation, and you're trying to find freedom and fulfillment in sexual behavior. 
and we end up feeling more empty afterwards. Men in particular feel like we don't need meaningful relationships with each other. We don't feel like we need it. But we actually have a real loneliness that drives us to unwanted sexual behaviors. And then those sexual behaviors make us more isolated, make us feel unworthy of meaningful relationships. And it's the seesaw in a cycle, sexual temptation and isolation. We don't feel like we need people, we go back to sexual temptation. It's a trap and the slavery of sexual immorality. What if you had meaningful spiritual relationships in those exact times when you were tempted? What if you lived in the spirit? What if you had fulfilling worship instead of going to pornography? You would feed a different nature inside of you. You would feed the spiritual nature inside of you. And at the beginning, it's going to feel weird. You're used to going to pornography in that moment. It's going to feel weird. My brothers and sisters, walk in the spirit. As you walk in the spirit, you will feed the desires of the spirit and you will actually live out the innovation of the new covenant. It brings you new life. The new covenant's got to be more than just forgiveness. It's the new life and power that the spirit gives you. I want to invite up the worship team and say one more thing. Um, I promise this is the last thing. Some of you are still thinking this isn't going to work. Some of you are thinking this is not going to work because you're saying the same thing that Nicodemus said. How can I change when I'm old? I've gone too far in the flesh. I can't go back. But it comes back down to that word promise. He says this is greater. Jesus is greater because he gives you better promises. He promises you that this will happen. This is an inevitability in your life because he's going to uphold his end of the covenant. Even if we stumble and fall in our end, he's going to uphold his end of the covenant. In verse 1 to 2, it says this. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He says our high priest gets to sit down. And you know what's cool about that? What's different about that? There are no seats in the temple. Did you know that? That there were no seats in the temple that nobody got to sit down? That's because the sacrifices needed to keep going. There were so many sins The work was never done. The sacrifices had to keep going. In Leviticus, he says, do not let the smoke ever stop going up from the sacrifices. You can't stop. There are so many sins. You can't stop making um, absolution for the sins. But then the author of Hebrews says, this is the cool, amazing part of the new covenant. Jesus does the work of mediating for us, and then he sits down. Where did the chair come from? There's no chairs. He says, but in heaven, he gets to sit down because he says, It's finished. You will be changed. You will be changed. When he was talking to Nicodemus, you feel the tension of Nicodemus wrestling with this, but then you know what happens at the end of Jesus' life? The Nicodemus who hid in the dark to come and meet with Jesus, who felt so much tension, that at the end of Jesus' life, Nicodemus is one of two men who come and publicly bury Jesus proclaiming to everyone around him that he honors and follows Jesus Christ, Messiah. You know what that means? That means when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and saying to him, you must be born again, he knew he was going to be born again. 
he knew he was going to be changed. And for you too, brother and sister, likewise, I know you're sitting there. How can I change when I'm old? He knows you will be changed by the power of the Spirit. Not by might, not by power, by his Spirit. You will have new life. Let us then kill the flesh and live into the Spirit, the power of the new covenant. Let's go to him in prayer.